Good morning, everybody. Hope you're well today. Um, again, I see a lot of people with brighter eyes than usual, enjoying that extra hour of sleep. Anybody enjoy that? Okay, well, I'll take yours next time, too. So, guys, this is, uh, <clears throat> this is a good day uh, to be here and worship the Lord together. Um, my name's Rollin, and I'm um, one of the pastors here, and if I don't know you, I look forward to getting to know you. Um, I will just go ahead and um, just let it out now. Like, I'm going to ask for prayer uh, at the beginning of the service uh, today um, because uh, I actually had uh, my grandmother, uh, who many of you uh, had, had the opportunity to meet, uh, uh, pass away this past week. And she was the one who uh, we got to, you know, fly down and say goodbye to. Um, but she was actually instrumental. Uh, she was the one who, growing up with uh, not, me not going to church, sort of skipped a generation, um, but me not going to church, she would always hand me the Gide multicolored Gideon's Bibles, you know, and say, read this, Ron, and I'd be like, thanks, Grandma, maybe later. And uh, later eventually came, though. How about that? And um, she was the one who I know helped uh, absolutely pray me uh, into the kingdom. And so uh, just asking for prayer uh, because... Our family is flying us down this uh, Tuesday uh, to help officiate the funeral. And it's actually, you know, we do a whole lot of weddings here because of our demographics. But this is actually the first funeral I'm doing, and it's my grandma. So um, the majority of people in my family are not saved, um, are not serving the Lord yet. And so we're asking for your prayers um, that this would be a moment as we officiate the funeral that uh, we could declare Jesus clearly and that as people are uh, thinking about their own mortality, which we've had several conversations with family members over the course of this past week, and as they're awakened to their own mortality, that Jesus would be made plain to them, the good news of the gospel uh, would be made plain to them, and that God would even use this to save many lives. Amen? So uh, just asking for your prayers, please. Okay? So, um, <clears throat> so with that in mind, I uh, just wanted to finish up this series uh, today, which was a series that we've been doing the past several weeks, and it's a series called Grow. What we've been doing is we've been going through uh, the book of Philippians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the church that was new and um, <clears throat> growing in the region of modern-day uh, Europe. It was one that was, many historians think, one of the first churches in the European region uh, whenever the gospel started to spread after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. And what we've been studying is just how God gives us instruction through this letter and how to grow as the people of God. Not only does he start a work in us, uh, but then he wants to bring it to completion in, uh, in the day of Christ Jesus. And so... That's all obviously fresh and uh, very tangible, you know, I mean, to all of us today, and uh, especially in my mind. And I think that uh, it's important that as we finish this letter that Paul wrote uh, to the Philippian church, we understand uh, not only how he starts in us, but how he wants to bring things to completion. So uh, today, if you're taking notes, what we're going to do is I wanted to actually uh, approach this in a different manner. I wanted to approach it in a manner that would help you even after we're finished this series, uh, help you learn to interpret your Bible properly. So that whenever you're reading the Bible or you're reading a letter uh, like the book of Philippians, uh, it's not just something that you see as a random text. Uh, it's not something that you see that 
It is just standing alone in and of itself, but it's deeply connected to the ongoing story of the gospel. We know that Genesis to Revelation is literally God's one story of his redeeming work in humanity. And Philippians was one of those letters that Paul wrote as a continuation of that ongoing story. Uh, But what we're going to do is today, as we talk about this element of grow, try to connect the dots for you so that when you're reading your Bible... you can read it in the context that it's actually found in and that you could know how to piece together what you see in Philippians with the book of Acts, and, um, that, which was the early history of the church, and many of Paul's missionary journeys were recorded there. And so the churches that he was writing to within the letters were actually literally the churches that you see them recording being started in the book of Acts. And then the other letters that were written to other churches were ones that he started after he left one place and went to another. And it's important that we see the, the symmetry between all of the stories, all of the letters, so that we can actually not only see like how the Bible continues as one story, but that we can see our own lives as a part of that story, as a continuation of what God has been doing and what he is doing. One announcement that we um, fail to make, and you'll see uh, um, contextualized in today's message, is that next weekend we actually have one of our special guests, Peter Aleen, who comes through the house um, multiple times, to the house multiple times a year. Uh, He preaches and teaches and um, uh, prays and prophesies over the congregation. Congregation, he'll be with us uh, next Sunday. Uh, but part of um, him being with us next Sunday is uh, he'll also be here Saturday with his wife. And what we uh, did a couple of weeks ago is we celebrated um, Cole being set in as uh, an associate pastor here at the church. And everybody still excited about that? Yes, I am. Okay, so it gives me great joy. And so, um, but in addition to that, there are other biblical um, offices, there are other biblical functions within the church. And one of them um, that we're going to even make reference to to, uh, today are deacons. How many people have heard of deacons before? Okay. Many of us have had um, thoughts or um, interactions with deacons. But next weekend, when Peter comes on Saturday, um, we're also going to have from 1.30 to to 3.30 at the Menken's home um, a teaching on the diaconate and how that functions within the local church. And um, again, if you are interested in actually helping to serve, in that type of capacity, we're asking you to join us during that time. 1.30 to 3.30 in the Menkins. Uh, Josh is right there behind the curtain. Um, he can give you the address. It's over in Hermo- the Hermosa area. Um, but we're going to have a time teaching on it so that people can see the biblical uh, expectations, requirements, and then also the function of the diaconate within a church setting. And then at a later time, we'll have hands laid on, just as we laid on for Cole, the diaconate within our local house. Amen? Okay, so what... Okay, thanks, Cole. But everybody else, amen? Amen. Okay. (laughs) All right, listen now. (laughs) So, guys, here's what we're going to do. Turn with me in your Bibles today to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This is a Bible study today. And if you're taking notes, we're going to divide the chapter up into two sections. um, Growing in practical faith and growing in participation. Growing in practical faith and growing in participation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Help us to see it as the story of your redemption and restoration in the earth. 
not just as uh, something that was uh, shared during Paul's time, but having direct application to our times, that we might continue to grow into all that you've created us to be as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here you go. If you're looking at your Bible, this is, again, a lot of times normally I I preach, but I want to teach more so today, okay? So bear with me as we continue on a pace that might be a little bit different than what we normally do. Um, But Acts chapter 16 through 18, if you're taking notes, I'm going to make reference to different scriptures that you can look at later. We're not going to go through all of them today in terms of reading them, uh, but they're important for you to have reference points. Um, And you can go back and read these things later to get a better context of everything. Um, Acts chapter 16 through 18 was describing the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. And in Paul's second missionary journey, what we see is that uh, he had been obviously initially saved um, by his encounter of Jesus Christ on um, the road to try to imprison and persecute Christians. Um, But then he got converted miraculously. His eyes were opened. And then though he was a persecutor of Christians, he became a preacher of the gospel, one of the foremost preachers of the gospel, so much so that he was actually the writer of three-fourths of the New Testament letters. Now, in Acts 16 to 18, we see him on his second missionary journey um, trying to continue the work of the Lord. After he had had a first successful uh, tour of church planting and gone through the Roman world, starting churches where there previously were no churches, then he went um, to try to continue that in Acts 16. And it said that he made efforts, and he was making efforts to go to regions that he hadn't been to yet. And at two different points, the spirit of Jesus Christ said, no, don't go to this city or no, don't go to that city, which you have an ambition to go to. But instead, I have a specific place for you to be. I have a specific place for you to go. And that's good news because we know that if we're going to do the work of God, we need the direction and the help of God. Do we not? We don't want to just be doing it in our own capacity or our own ability, but we want to have God going ahead of us, God being with us and God following up all that we make effort to do. And so what Paul did is he listened to the spirit of God. And then in the night, in the middle of the night, he got a dream from God and it was from a people, uh, it was in the dream. There was a group of people from Macedonia, which was a region in the European region at the time, modern day Europe. And they were calling for Paul saying, Hey, come over here and help us. And whenever he woke up, he and his traveling companions concluded that God had previously said no to the other cities that they were trying to go and preach the gospel in, but they said that God's obviously calling us to this region of Macedonia to preach because we got this dream, and so they got ready and went by God's direction to Macedonia. There in Macedonia, there was a city named Philippi, and so it was actually the city that Paul's writing to, or the church that Paul's writing to within this city in this book of Philippians, and in Philippi, you see a new church starting, and he Um, It started with a woman who was uh, a marketplace leader at the time. She was a dealer in purple cloth, it says. So she was an industrious woman. She was a businesswoman. And it said that at the time of prayer, he went down and actually ministered the good news to her. She gave her life to the Lord. And then she opened up her home so that others could give their lives to the Lord too, as Paul ministered within her household. And so what you see is that Paul started that church in Philippi but then went beyond that to other cities. He went to a city in um, Acts 16 um, called Berea, I'm sorry, Thessalonica. Then he went to another city called Berea. Then he went to Athens, which we're all familiar with in Greece. Then he went to another city, you know, uh, um, which was actually
actually called Corinth, by which we're actually associating the letter of First and Second Corinthians, right? So whenever you're reading the letter to, of First and Second Corinthians, it's basically letters that Paul was writing to these churches where he had started them as historically recorded in the book of Acts. Everybody following so far? And so Paul is very specifically going on these missionary journeys, but he's expecting that even as he continues in his missionary journey, that the work that was started would continue to grow. That the people, even as they started in the Lord, would continue to mature in him to the point that they're growing in these two things that we're talking about today, growing in practical faith, and then also growing in the continued participation of what God's doing. So that what Paul was setting an example for, they were also involving themselves in as the church of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just Paul or Peter or John or, you know, all the other famous or well-known apostles who were actually committed the, um, the responsibility of advancing the kingdom. It was the body of Christ doing its work, right? He started by planting the seed in a city and then expected those seeds to grow. And anything that is healthy ultimately grows, does it not? I mean, even, well, sometimes, well, if you're in your adult years and you continue to grow, but it's not always healthy. But the point is, is that, it's that, that in its nascent form, it's, it, things that are healthy grow. And this is what God himself is showing us here. So Paul's addressing this church of Philippians here. So Acts 16 to 18 is our context. He's writing in Philippians 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, Paul's writing, Stand firm thus in the Lord. My beloved, I entreat Eudea and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So ultimately, what we see here is that whenever Paul's going and expecting the church to grow, he's basically saying that initially there's an element of practical faith. Practice these things, right? Put into practice what you've learned, what you've seen, what you've heard from me, what you've also received from me. Put those things into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Ultimately, that's the good news of the gospel, is it not? We were estranged from um, God the Father, the holy God, because of our sin. We were condemned to hell, but because of Jesus and his sinless life, his sacrifice on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead, we have the opportunity not only to be forgiven, 
forgiven, but set free from that sin that ultimately led us astray and to have the ability to follow him in power into the newness of life. But after the point of that initial prayer, that salvific prayer, that prayer of salvation, right, that many people have gone through or many people are familiar with confirmation or their first communion or things like that, and ultimately people think that if I just go through this one sacrament, then I'm good to go. If I just go through this one sacrament that's an important one and that's part of the progression in the Lord, then ultimately I've arrived. But that is absolutely different than the way that God himself describes life in him. He says that the sacraments are touch points. The sacraments are ultimately touch points by which we experience his grace and then ultimately continue to grow in the grace of God, putting into practice the faith that he's entrusted to us. Now, when Paul's talking to the Philippians here, starting in verse 1, let's go back to verse 1. He gives us practical instruction for how to live and grow in the grace of God. He starts off by saying, listen, you are my joy and my crown. And ultimately, that is what we long for, that this church would have as their hearts, ambitions, and desires, that they would look at one another. You would look at the man or the woman on your right and your left, and you would say, listen, you're part of my joy and my crown. I've laid down my life for you. I'm serving you. I'm doing life with you. There's godly and biblical fellowship. And when you succeed, I succeed. When you rejoice, I rejoice. When you mourn, I mourn. Why? Because we belong to one another, right? We belong, according to the word of God, to one another. And he's saying, this is the type of affection that I have for you. And even though you might have come from a culture where you pop into settings like a church and come in and come out without speaking to anyone, without addressing anyone, without having really any interaction of life beyond a Sunday morning service, God wants more for you. And he says, ultimately, I want you to grow in your relationship with one another to the extent that you could look at one another and say, you are my joy and my crown. Of all the things that I achieve in life and all the accolades that I get and all of the wealth that I attain and all the things that could be given to me, I'm telling you that you, your life is my joy and my crown. And this is what Paul said. And he said, specifically, I know the people of the churches. Not only am I known as the one who started it, I know the people. And that's real relationship, right? Practical faith has to do with real relationship. That not only are you known, but you know others as well. And so whenever he's writing these letters to the church, he's saying, listen, I want you to greet certain people for me, people that I've been in relationship with and we've co-labored with, advancing this gospel and this kingdom within the city of Philippi. And it has a local context, but as we'll see, it also goes beyond the borders of what we started here in Philippi. He said, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He's basically saying, listen, Even though you're in the church and though you're building and growing in godliness and godly relationship with one another, it does not mean that you won't hit bumps in the road. It does not mean that you won't have to work through certain issues. He's saying practical faith is this, that though they were sisters with me, let's go into verse 3. Though they were sisters with me, and I don't know what kind of background that you came from, but we believe in the women of God being esteemed here. Amen? 
and the women of God actually having an equal role in advancing the kingdom of God through the gospel. Amen? Well, okay, well, I'll say amen for you. Okay, amen, because Paul himself is relating to the women this way. He's relating to the women this way. He said, I ask you to agree in the Lord, and I ask you to help these women. Why? Because they've labored side by side with me in the gospel. He's esteeming them, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. But practically, they had come to an impasse. Practically, they had beef with one another. And if you've ever been in a church setting before where you've actually had beef with somebody who was another servant of God and almost like got convinced in your mind that they were somehow not the person you needed to be with anymore because you had beef with them, the gospel, the Bible says something different. He's actually saying beef does not mean that you separate. Beef actually means that you actually work things out as the family of God in practical faith to continue on in the work of the Lord to continue to honor Jesus and see his kingdom advance. They had to grow in practical faith to do this. And he was saying, I know it's hard. I know it's an issue, but so is life, right? Life is just challenging. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. I promise you. That's one of the many promises he made. But he said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world, and in me, you will overcome the world too. In me, the beefs that you're having with one another, as you're growing in faith, as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, those things are going to happen, but you can overcome the obstacles in me. In me is what Jesus is saying. And these letters, these introductions and these ending uh, dialogues that Paul is giving or these ending greetings that Paul is giving to the churches, they are just important as the doctrine itself. They are just as important as the doctrine itself that fills the middle content of the scriptures or of the letters. Because so often we just gravitate to the things that sound like doctrine which doctrine is important. And he says, Paul said to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Doctrine is important. But he's also, by the Holy Spirit, giving a picture of what the church and practical faith looks like when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we need to learn from this just as much as we do from the other. So he's saying, beef can happen, issues can come up, but what do we do to overcome them? We need to remember, first of all, that just as much as our names are thankfully found in the book of life, which is basically the book that Jesus himself records our names in, whenever we put our trust in them and are born again, right? Born of the Spirit of God, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He said on Judgment Day, two books are going to be opened. And he said the first are going to be the book of deeds where everybody's going to be judged according to their works. And anybody outside of Jesus will be condemned because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gospel says that we are justified freely by his grace. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. And if somebody comes under the blood and the covering of Jesus, then all of a sudden he says, my righteousness, this is what we talked about last week, right? 
My righteousness is given to you and you don't have to stand on your own. You're declared forgiven because of my work, not yours. And whenever we're growing in practical faith and learning to overcome offenses with one another, learning to overcome obstacles and beef that we have with one another, the first thing we need to do is that remember that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life just as much as ours. Amen? Sometimes we point fingers and it's sort of like, they offended me, and so they can go to hell. Well, God doesn't say that, right? He said, they might have offended me, but their names are in the book of life just as much as mine, so I entreat you. I appeal to you. I appeal to you to remember this and grow together. Let's go on to verse 4. He said, and in doing so, rejoice in the Lord, not sometimes, but always. He said, again, I say, rejoice. Let your, re- <laughs> this is just a good word. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Anybody feel unreasonable sometimes? Unreasonable in your home? Unreasonable with your spouse? Unreasonable with your friends? You just go down. I'm telling you, I I often feel this way. I start spiraling downward, and I feel it in my thoughts and in my mind. I get offended by one thing, and then all of a sudden it starts a gravy train, baby. I'm like, choo-choo, here we go. You know what I mean? It's like I'm going down, baby, and I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, right? Come on, don't leave me alone up here. I know you felt that way too. All of you sting. You know what I mean? Not you, but that's what I feel in my heart, right? When I'm going down in a downward spiral. And he's saying, listen, guys, let your reasonableness... Come out of the death spiral. Let your reasonableness be evident at all. And this is why we need one another, right? Because I don't always see clearly. I don't always feel clearly, do I? And if we're only driven by our emotions without accountability to someone who can be an objective voice in our lives preaching the word to us, then we're going to go down. But he's saying let your reasonableness be evident and known to everyone why the Lord is at hand. Let's keep going. Verse 6. He says, in the midst of life's trials, in the midst of effort, like in circumstances that are not ideal, he said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Everybody say everything. In everything, with prayer and supplication, offer with thanksgiving. I'm sorry, I almost see, needed in my heart, with thanksgiving. Because a lot of times we offer plenty of prayers, we offer plenty of supplication, but we don't give thanks to God for anything. We're like, God, help. He's like, okay. And then we're like, out. But he said, give prayers, supplications, and thanksgiving. Even thanksgiving for the growing opportunities that we have with one another whenever we have to work through issues. He said, with thanksgiving, offer your requests and let them be made known to God. Let them be made known to God. I know Stormy O'Martin, she, O'Martin, she said, literally, whatever you don't pray about, you leave to chance. Whatever you don't pray about, you leave to chance. So pray about everything. Don't be anxious. Don't be overcome. How do I work out my practical faith? How do I actually get past beefs and actually deal with people in a way that's loving and godly and Christ-centered? I actually do these things. Verse 7. 
I need to grow in my practical faith, and I need to grow in the peace of God, and Lord knows that's what we need, is it not? We need the peace of God, the harmony of God, the tranquility of God to guard our hearts and our minds in him. You see, it doesn't come outside of him. Real peace comes in him. And so if we're reasoning outside of him, there is no peace. Anybody ever heard the uh, like little jingle before? No God. No peace. No God. No peace. Right? Just the spelling's a little bit different. If you know God, K-N-O-W, you'll know K-N-O-W peace. But if there is no God, N-O God, there is no peace, N-O peace. Get that? A little jingle for you. Okay? <laughs> and that's what he's saying. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in him. And that's a supernatural peace. That is a peace that does not depend on circumstance. That is a peace that doesn't depend on the relationship in the moment. It has everything to do with him and what he's accomplished for you. And I'm telling you, if you've not experienced that before, you can because he has it for you. It's part of the fruit of the spirit, right? The fruit of the spirit, which he kindly gives to any believer who finds himself or herself in him. And he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, now that's the promise, but how do you get there? How do you get there? Here's how he says, practically, you've got to do something. Instead of going on that death spiral downward, you've got to train your mind, which is the battlefield. You've got to train your mind, apprehend your thoughts, and actually submit them to Christ. That's where he says, I'm going to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Why? Because there's warfare in our minds. You are made up of three parts. You have an eternal spirit, which when you're born again is united with Jesus Christ and is going to live forever, ruling and reigning with him, right? But then you have also the flesh, which is still speaking to you even after you're born again. Your carnal desires, and all the sinful fruit of the flesh pull at you, right? It pulls at you. The things you used to do that you said, I'd never do again, they still pull at you because the flesh is real. And he says, there's this middle ground, the third part of you, which is the soul, your mind, will, and emotions, which are the battleground. And you're have to, having to choose continually who you're going to serve. God and his spirit and his word or the flesh and its carnal desires. But God's saying, I'm telling you, if you would apprehend what's going on in your mind, then what's coming out of your life will change. And this is what he says in verse 8 and 9. He says, finally, brothers, this is how you live practically. Whatever is true. Starts with the word of God, right? It starts with the word of God. That's what's true. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. If I don't feel it, I'm going to submit to God's word anyway. We exalt the word of God here. We live by the word of God. When we, we pray, give us today our daily bread, it's the word of God that provides sustenance. Job said, God, I've desired your word more than my daily bread, more than physical food. I know that if my spirit man dies, I'm dead anyway. So I need my spirit man or my, your spirit woman to live. 
And he's saying whatever is true. And sometimes you need to get to the truth by going through the Matthew 18 process and just talking to your brother and sister. Talking to them. He said if you know that somebody sinned against you, or how about this? Here's this. Conjecture if you think your brother or sister has sinned against you. Go and talk to them just between the two of you. Why? So you can get to the truth. So you can get to the truth. Don't let the devil lie and bring accusation to drive you apart from your brothers and sisters. Get to the truth. And think about these things. Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable. A lost word in our generation, right? Whatever is honorable. Whatever is just. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence. If there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. He said, you want to know what to think about? Think about those things. You want to know what to post about? Post about that. If you want to know about what to tweet about, tweet about those things. Stop just tweeting about junk all the time. Tweet about what's honorable and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. Use social media for something good. Because that's what people are feeding on day after day. More than their Bibles, unfortunately. But let's fill it with what's good and true. Amen. And whatever you've learned, received, and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That's a pretty bold claim. You want God with you? He said, do what I do. <laughs> that's what Paul's saying. You, wanna, you want God with you? Do what I do, and he'll be with you. And that's the kind of lives that we aspire to, right? That we be able to make disciples make disciples saying, I'm going to teach you to obey everything that he's commanded me through his word. Do what I do and he'll be with you. Do what I do and I'll be with you. He'll be with you. That's practical faith playing itself out. But it wasn't just about the individual. <clears throat> it wasn't just, it was more about the local community. And what you see here is that when Paul's talking about these things, you have to understand what he's talking about. And he's giving all these instructions. It's he's talking about a local community of faith. That's practical, right? A lot of times in our generation, especially people are talking about the fact that I just belong to the sort of universal body of Christ. And to that, we say, yes, you do. If you belong to Jesus, yes, you do. But they don't ever grow in their practical faith because they're disconnected from the local bodies which are meant to form and shape them. You see, all this instruction that he's giving them about one another, it's in the context of local relationships. It has to be worked out through the local church. You're not just part of some nebulous body I'm going to say to all of you who are actually being trained for ministry too, I know several of you are going to school for that in here, you need to encourage your classmates not just to grow in academic knowledge, but they need to be part of local bodies. And if they're not part of local bodies, they're sinning, which means they're missing the mark. Because God himself is giving context to everything through his local body. You grow in practical faith. That's how you work it out. Okay? Beyond that, though, you also grow in participation. When you get this down, you grow in participation. And as Paul was an example of 
contentment, even as he demonstrated great faith, there was a cyclical nature to it, that his great faith led to a contentment in life that produced greater faith. Great faith, contentment, greater faith. Great faith, contentment, greater faith. Great faith, contentment, greater faith. And this is what we see in Philippians 4, verse 10. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, finishing this letter out, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So he's saying, if you remember the context here, he started this church in Philippians, but then he said, hey guys, it's not just about us, right? So there is the local interaction that we're growing in practical faith with one another, but then God's work isn't limited to us. God's work is worldwide. God's work is in the churches and in the congregations throughout the city and throughout the world that are actually making his name known and making disciples, right? So he says, grow in practical faith locally, but then be extended extra locally. And Paul said that as I started this church in Philippi, I'm also going beyond Philippi and I'm actually going to these other regions where Christ is not known to make him known. And just as we were growing in faith practically with one another, we need to participate and you need to grow in participation both locally and extra locally to see this happen. And this is what Paul's talking about. He said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your, I'm sorry, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Anybody remember that scripture? One one of people's favorites, bumper sticker, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but they don't know the context of it. He's saying I could do plenty or like, (laughs) or I could be in need. That's what he's talking about. He's not just talking about I could jump off a building and God's going to help me fly. You know, he's saying, no. (laughs) He's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, whether in plenty or in want, right? Whether there was a circumstance. Yet it was good for you to share my trouble. And you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, which is where Philippi was, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. See, these are the cities that we're making reference to at the beginning. He's going to these different cities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God and Father, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace, I'm sorry, greet even saint, I'm sorry, every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So what he's saying here is this. As he left Philippi, he also went to other regions. He said, it's not just about us, it's about us growing in faith, but then the gospel expanding, right? So that is our ambition here, that we would absolutely have a church that's planted and established here in Chicago, in the city, but then we would also go to other regions too and plant other churches, amen? Amen. 
Lord willing. And so we see that the gospel needs to go forward. But how it happens is through practical means. Not only do we grow in practical faith, but we grow in participation. Number two, and the participation comes in two ways. It's number one, through the practical ministry, the ministry that happens through the body of Christ. What you saw happening at the beginning was he was addressing certain people who were co-laborers with him in the work, right? So all of a sudden he said, these women were co-laboring with me, you know, to actually advance the work of God. And ultimately what you have is both a local responsibility and then an extra local ambition, a local responsibility and an extra local ambition. How does that work out? When you have a local responsibility, that means that there needs to be pillars. There, need to be, there needs to be leadership within the church, things that people can build on, right? Just like the pillars or an edifice of a real building. And what happens is that God, and we'll give you plenty of scripture to um, write these things. Well, just write these things down. I'm going to help you out, okay? He gives you pillars on which to build. And one of those pillars are the office of deacons within the church, which are servants appointed by God, by which he says, look to these people as examples of the practical faith that we're to be growing in and need to work out. If you've ever seen a deacon before in a church that you belong to, it is not just them voting on some board about how they're going to spend the money. It's not just them talking about, you know what I mean, when they're going to have the next potluck dinner. Everybody understand that? The deacons were actually meant and installed by God to actually be pillars and examples of the practical faith that Paul was just talking about. And when he's making reference to these things, yes, he's making reference to both women and men. Why do we know, um, believe that? Write these scriptures down. Romans 15, 14 through 21, Paul talks about the uh, expansion of the gospel. He started in the Roman community, um, <clears throat> but then he st- like went beyond that, wanting to preach where Christ was not known. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 10, Paul said, hey, listen, I came and I labored amongst you, and I didn't, wasn't a burden to any of you, but I wanted you to follow my example as I was in Christ. But I was working as a tent maker, so I had to split my time between caring for the sheep and preaching the good news to people who didn't know it and the work that I was doing just to earn a living and eat. And so what he said is that, listen, by Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, when Paul's continuing that track and gets to Corinth, another city, it says that from Macedonia, which is Philippi, which is where Paul's addressing this letter, all of a sudden, gifts come so that he can devote himself fully to the preaching of the word. This is what he's talking about in Philippians 4. I'm trying to bring it all together for you. He's saying, I was preaching, I had to split my time, the gospel needed to go forward, but now these gifts have come from Philippi, from these people who've been co-laboring with me, and now it can go forward even further. 2 Corinthians 11, 7 through 11, you can write that down. Paul's saying, like, even in the Corinthian church where they made it an issue, <laughs> they're like, well, Paul, we don't, we don't think you should earn a living by preaching to us. He's like, fine, I'll, I'll rob other churches. This is what he said, tongue-in-cheek. I'll rob other churches so I can preach the gospel free of charge to you. 
there was participation both locally and extra-locally. Practically, what that means is this. Whenever we give an obedience to God's commands, our tithes on a weekly basis, what we're doing is we're providing the foundation for the ongoing expanding work in the local house. When we give offerings, the point is, is to go beyond the local house, beyond the local house, to see the gospel continue to expand in areas where he is not yet known. When you have deacons, they are people who are pillars within the local house, being examples so that the practical faith of God can continue to be demonstrated and then, and then I guess, repeated by those who are looking to their example. They're a local fixture. But then ultimately, we'll also have people who are raised up as leaders and sent out to do works in other locations, and there's participation in that as well, just as the Philippians were giving to the work beyond their local borders. So there was a local participation that they needed to grow in, and there was an extra local faith that they also needed to grow in as well. This is why, for instance, if we pay our tithes and offerings, yes, it takes care of rent, takes care of salaries, things like that, but then it also, there are offerings whenever Harvey, for instance, comes up that we can sow into, or in Puerto Rico, right? Whenever things were demolished there, we can sow into a local church that's actually preaching the gospel through the rehabilitation efforts. Or when the Dominican Republic is taking the efforts down there are taking place, we can sow into that extra locally, right? We're growing in participation, but it's a practical faith. It happens through practical means. Everybody with me? So the deacons and the diaconate are people like this. Last scripture, and then we're going to be done. Romans 16 gives an example of such people. Another congregation that Paul was writing to outside of the Philippian church. And he says, I want to commend to you our sister, once again, a sister. Always starting with the sisters. Okay, he's fine. <laughs> okay. But he's like, I want to commend to you our sister Phoebe. A what? A servant of the church. Now, that's the ESV. You know what it says in the NIV? A deacon. Because that's what the word means, a servant, a deaconess. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet also, greet also, Priscilla, it's a girl's name, greet also Priscilla, and Aquila, a guy, they're married, doing the work of God together. Greet also Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their, um, at their house. Come on, community group leaders. Thank you. Can we give it up for our community group leaders? Yes. Greet also the church that meets at their house. 
Okay, let's continue. <laughs> Greet my dear friend, Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Hunia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Who cares who these people are? The point is, is that they were growing in participation. They were growing in the work of Christ together, right? We don't care who they are. All we know is they did something. And in Christ, we grow first in practical faith, and then we grow in the participation that enables the local house to grow and then his extra local kingdom to continue to advance. So the charge today is even as we worship God, find out where you need to grow in practical faith. If there are beefs, put them to death at the cross today. If there are any issues that you need to forgive, forgive them today. If there is anything that you need to do to grow in participation, get in the game today because you are the body of Christ and we are going to see his name glorified and his gospel go not only throughout Chicago but the ends of the earth in his mighty mighty name amen Amen. all right worship team come on up